The opinions and statements expressed in the following program do not necessarily reflect those of WWDB, its staff, or management. Hey, Ken Krawchuk here, and welcome to Episode 42 of The Pennsylvania Project. As you may know here at The Pennsylvania Project, our vision is a better Pennsylvania. To achieve that vision, our mission is to boldly showcase the political, cultural, and environmental challenges facing contemporary Pennsylvania, and to relentlessly pursue correct solutions. But more important than solving the problem correctly is to solve the correct problem. Not to mention asking the correct question, but we'll get to that. This is episode 42 after all. We have an episode full of life, the universe, and everything planned for today. And like all episodes of the Pennsylvania Project, it's divided into three parts. You, them, and me. Part one is all about you, your questions, your opinions, your solutions, your whatevers. And rather than a call-in format, we are an email-in format. So if you have something to say, you can always drop us a line at PennsylvaniaProject.com. Today for the you part is, believe it or not, the last of the Facebook universe questions. Actually, more of an answer to a prior question since I missed mentioning an important part at the last episode. We also have an update on speed cameras and a big announcement. After the you part comes part two, the them part, where each episode we host a guest to help us showcase political, cultural, and or environmental issues facing Pennsylvania. This one is all about life, a dog's life to be precise. Our guest today is Derek Cotton, canine guidance counselor. (laughs) No, really. (laughs) After the them part comes part three of the Pennsylvania Project, the me part where it'll be my turn, your caster, Ken Krawchuk. I'll be focusing on some particular issue that really sticks in my craw. It's not life. It's not the universe. It's everything. Everything I've ever asked in the previous 41 episodes that never got answered. Something of a tribute to Douglas Adams, author of The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, what with this being episode 42 and all. And throughout the show, as is our long-established tradition, we'll be featuring a Pennsylvania Toastmaster to serve as narrator to read our live commercials. Today we have with us Stephanie Berg-Brown of the SEPTA Toastmasters Club and a Toastmasters Area Director. Welcome to the Pennsylvania Project, Stephanie. Thank you. I I have to ask, what, what do you like about being a Toastmaster? I like the fact that I can... Get in front of people and feel comfortable talking. That's right. And look what happened. Got you on the radio, too. These yes. strange places. Got me on here, too. We also have a second Toastmaster with us today, according to another one of our customs, to help us read and respond to whatever comes into our mailbag and join in discussion with our guest. It's a role that we call cohort. And today's cohort needs no introduction, so he's not going to get one. <laughs> no, no, seriously. He's distinguished Toastmaster Art Farnsworth past narrator in episodes 5 and 7, cohort in episodes 28, 34, and 40, and a member of We the Speakers Toastmasters in Plymouth Meeting. And now our most aired associate with this, his sixth appearance on the Pennsylvania Project. I'm now counting on my second hand. (laughs) Welcome. I'm glad you're counting on your hands. (laughs) Welcome back to the Pennsylvania Project. Thanks, Art. Last time you were pretty quiet. I think it was because of our guest. Lou Jasikov, the investigative reporter. Yes, interesting. I know, but he just didn't stop. 
talking. Nobody had so much good information to I share knew. that, as we talked about afterwards, he really needs to come back to get more I know. out there. This I, is a direly important issue that he was discussing. I know. Kids for Cash, where judges are sentencing kids to their Horrible. own their own reform schools. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we got to get we got to get Lou back. Well, welcome back. Thanks. As I mentioned at the top of the show, I have an important announcement. So let me get that out of the way right away. Right now, we're doing episode forty-two, as I mentioned, but we're also doing episode one at the same time, one and forty-two simultaneously. Sounds like a contradiction. Time travel? Maybe too many recreational drugs? <laughs> no, no, no. Fun though that may be. No, we're doing episodes 42 and episode 1 simultaneously because we've added a second radio station to our Pennsylvania Project Network. Today we're welcoming radio station KUR in Kutztown, Pennsylvania. Great college town. Nestled up there in bucolic Berks County, about midway between Allentown and Reading. Yeah. Yep, every Monday... 7 a.m., Pennsylvania Project is going to be heard on KUR. As a matter of fact, it just started a couple days ago. 1670 on the AM dial in the Kutztown area. And, you know, by the time they hear this announcement, we'll be up to episode 84. And they'll be laughing at us because they've been around (laughs) listening the whole while, and we never knew about it. I hope I never said anything nasty about Kutztown. I have to think about that one. Well, if I did and I happened to take events, well, I I won't know about it until episode 84. Uh, welcome, KUR. Yeah, regardless. Welcome, Kutztown. Welcome to the Pennsylvania Does Project. Does Brett have any fanfare music to play for that part there? No. No I trumpet didn't. fanfare? Yeah. He'll, he'll dub it in later. Welcome, Kutztown. Uh, he didn't push the button. Oh, well. We'll get new help. He's there. working on it. Hard to get good help these days. No, I'm kidding. Brett's pretty good. <laughs> Let's get back to the present. As I mentioned, there's only one, count it, one room. There you are. Close enough. Thank you. Thank you. No more Facebook questions. I'm going to be so happy about that. Actually, it's, it's a leftover question from the last episode because I made a mistake and neglected to answer it in its entirety. Our producer, Mark, was waving at me, and I just didn't know what he meant. So why don't we start with that one, Art? And remember, our mission here is not just to complain, but to explore solutions. All right, let's pull the leftovers out of the fridge here from episode 41 where Tina LaRoache La Ro- in Warminster, Pennsylvania, asked about speeding cameras. Now she asks, what's this I hear about an update? Yes, and they're not speeding cameras. They're speeding cameras. The cameras are not speeding. The cars are speeding. It'll, I'll get it All right. eventually. Anyway, let me give you the update. Two, two updates. One's the omission, an omission on my part. The other is an addition. Uh, first, the omission. But, you know, Art, let me, let me fill you in on the background. Obviously, you didn't listen to episode 41. I don't think it's up on the podcast say yet no it, it is it's on it's on oh several, i'm sorry it's just the ones i've been on that aren't yeah, up there yet yeah. you're living in the past thanks mark anyway tina asked about speed cameras the kind that automatically record your speed oh. and automatically send you a speeding ticket Ooh. i did a whole rant about it you missed it it's called technological tyrants because that's how i feel about it because i ranted how those damn cameras violate article one section nine of the pennsylvania constitution is it constitutional no because Article 1, Section 9 says, the accused hath the right to meet the witnesses face to face. But who's the witness here? Some mechanical device? Larry Lenz? One without a face? I'm not going to repeat that rant. You can go back and listen to it, episode 41 at the end. But in that rant, I talked about how I challenged it in court once. I challenged it because it wasn't me driving the car, but I was the one who got the ticket. Mm. 
Check it out. End of episode 41. I'm not going to repeat the whole thing. Suffice it to say, those speed cameras are unconstitutional, as well as their tyrannical cousins, those red light cameras. Now, is that enough to give you the picture? Yes, sir. I hope so. Pardon the pun. <laughs> oh. So, what was my omission? What did I skip? Well, I ran short on that episode, twice, matter of fact, and I didn't provide an important public service to my listeners, namely the location of those speed cameras. Mm. They're, they're all along Roosevelt Big Brother Vard, also known as US-1 in Northeast Philadelphia, at or near the following cross streets, Masher Street, F Street, Devereaux Street, Harbison Avenue, Strail Street, Grant Avenue, Red Lion Road near Witten, and Southampton Road near Horning. Again, that's Masher, F, Devereaux, Harbison, Strail, Grant, Red Lion, and Southampton. So don't say you weren't warned. Mm. Well, that takes care of my omission, and please accept my apologies. So, but now, let me give you the addition. Because right now they're testing prototypes of those cameras. And earlier this week, I passed one up by Roosevelt Big Brother Vard and the Turnpike, and I saw the flash as the camera took my picture. Isn't that cool? Wow. Let's see what comes in the mail, and I may have my day in court again. So stay tuned. Could get good. What else we got, Art? Let's go to the new side of things with John Waldenberger of Montgomery County. He has a suggestion, Ken. There should be a special outtake reel for the Pennsylvania Project. Mm-hmm. And a related question from last episode, going to Facebook land, Annette Scott had asked, why would I pay for something I've never seen? What is Annette talking about? Well, I mentioned it in episode 41. Her question was in response to an announcement on Facebook page. And for those who may have missed it, like Art, here's that announcement. Quote, do you want more content? Do you want behind-the-scenes bonus videos with our guests? Live streams of each show, access to each episode the day it's recorded, and other extra behind-the-scenes interviews and other bonuses? Yes. To which Annette replied, Why would I pay, pay for, for something, something I've, I've never, never seen? seen? Would I remind her last episode that all our episodes are free at PennsylvaniaProject.com and on iTunes and on Stitcher and all these places that you don't hang out? Your popular podcast providers. I, that's right, the alliterative podcast yes. providers. But as the announcements say, by popular demand, we're adding even more content. So for a minimal contribution, you can get access to all that additional fun stuff in addition to all the fun stuff you get for free. So you're going to start paying Mark with this additional revenue coming in. You'll be able to pay Mark? I said fun stuff. Oh, sorry. But let's talk about this additional fun stuff. You already got the laundry list. Like how we keep the mics live after the credits roll by at the end of the show where we talk about the show we have additional talk with our guests 100% unscripted and includes things that we can't say on the air or shouldn't say on the air gives you gives you the chance to hear more content especially if you like a particular guest or cohort or a narrator wherever it may be and even with all that but wait there's There's more. more Because when I recited that laundry list last episode, I left off the most important item. I can't wait. Because not only do you get all that cool off-the-air stuff, the outtake reels, as John would put it, you also get a copy of the greatest novel ever written. Wow. Atlas Snubbed, whose commercial, by the way, you're about to hear. And you can trust me when I say it's a great book because I can't tell you how many times I read it and I just love it. (laughs) I also just wrote it, but that's a separate issue. 
If you want to know more about the novel, I talked about it at length in episode 17 when the novel was my guest. It just sat there on the desk, but that's okay. It was a great guest. And if you want to find out more immediately, you can visit atlassnubbed.com. So, Annette, why would you pay for something you've never seen? John, you want an outtake reel? Or anybody, any of you listeners out there, if you're just interested, interested in learning more about our post-Pennsylvania project project and get a copy of one of the greatest novels ever written, head out to our website at pennsylvaniaproject.com and click on the Patreon link at the top of the page. And don't get me started again about why our web guy would call it Patreon. Do you know what Patreon means? I'm guessing it's a patriotic patron. Patron? Uh, Stephanie, do you know what Patreon means? No. Derek? Now, is it a prion? Uh, Can I, I go know. to dictionary.com? I have no. I have no idea what it's supposed to mean to different people. Nobody knows. Personally, I think it should say, check out all the additional fun content. But it doesn't. What do I know? Well, anyway, on that novel note, pardon the pun, let's wrap it up for the you portion of episode 42 of the Pennsylvania Project. We're going to pause for this information about that great novel. And when we return, we'll be visiting with today's guest, Canine Guidance Counselor Derek Cotton. Did you hear the latest news? Almost two-thirds of all federal spending now goes to pay for the welfare state. More than $2.2 trillion, which just about equals federal income. Do you realize what that means? Virtually all tax revenue is now being consumed by the welfare state. But how do we rein in that runaway spending before it destroys America? The answer? The separation of society and state. That's the premise of the new novel, Atlas Snubbed, an unsanctioned parody sequel to Ayn Rand's Atlas Shrugged. Atlas Snubbed presents a workable alternative to the welfare state as we know it. Atlas Snubbed expertly extends Rand's epic story of a looter's world snubbed by the men of the mind, bringing to life a crumbling post-apocalyptic world where no one need ask who is John Galt, because now they know. Atlas Snubbed, available at all online bookstores or through atlassnubbed.com. Read it today before it's too late. Here's an interesting question. What do you think of these three ideas? Number one, people have at all times an inalienable right to alter, reform, or abolish their government as they think proper. Number two, juries shall have the right to determine the law as well as the facts. Number three, the right of the citizen to bear arms in defense of themselves and the state shall not be questioned. Do those words sound like they're something taken from a Hollywood political thriller? Well, they're not. They're all direct quotes taken from Article 1 of the Pennsylvania Constitution. Everyone's heard of the United States Constitution, but have you ever heard of the Pennsylvania Constitution? Have you read it? But most importantly, was it ever taught to you in school? If you're like virtually all Pennsylvanians, the answers are likely to be no, no, and no. Well, it's long past time we changed those answers to yes, yes, and yes. And you have a crucial part to play in making that come to pass. As you know, we here at the Pennsylvania Project are all about solutions. So we've authored a petition demanding that the Pennsylvania Constitution be taught to our children. It's up on our website, PennsylvaniaProject.com. If you believe it's important for our children to know how our state government works, 
please add your name to the growing list of signers. And every time we accumulate another batch of signatures, we'll send a copy of the petition to the governor, the Pennsylvania Board of Education, and each and every one of 501 school districts in Pennsylvania, asking them right now to start teaching our children the Pennsylvania Constitution. So please sign the petition at PennsylvaniaProject.com. Do it now while it's on top of your mind. Get your friends to sign it, your neighbors, your co-workers. The alternative is yet another generation that has never heard of, let alone read the Pennsylvania Constitution. And people wonder why no one votes anymore. And they're voting a lot less. Thanks, Stephanie. Hey, Ken Krawchuk here again, and welcome to the Them portion of Episode 42 of the Pennsylvania Project, where we host a guest to help us showcase political, cultural, and or environmental issues facing Pennsylvania. Our guest today is a combination of the cultural and the environmental. His name is Derek Cotton, a K-9 guidance counselor. Yeah, that's what he calls himself. And having spoken with him beforehand, I can understand why. And soon we all will, too. Welcome to the Pennsylvania Project, Derek. Thanks for having me, Ken. Oh, it's good to have you here. Well, we got to start at the very, very top. All right. Why, pray tell, do you call yourself a canine guidance counselor? Uh, I think training leaves a lot to be desired in a good house pet. There's a difference between training a dog a trick or teaching it to follow a command and being able to take your dog to a, your neighbor's five-year-old birthday party and leave uh -huh. it off leash. Um, some of the wow. best trained agility dogs in the world and some of the best trained cattle dogs in the world and police dogs in the world, that's training. That's hard. It takes years. Uh -huh. Not all of them are very good pets. Not all of them are somebody that you're going to bring your grandma over and just let the dog <laughs> run over and greet. Yeah. So a dog that makes good decisions is a, a bit more powerful of a behavior change than just <laughs> simply as training you know maybe i'm a bit prejudiced i can't say i know of dogs that make good decisions <laughs> <laughs> come on over to my house sometime i've got 11 yeah uh, 11 11 oh. so i i take those 11 and they've formed their own routines and they've accepted me as leader and they see themselves as a pack so when we bring scared dogs or shy dogs in or dogs that just have been misunderstood because they have energy to burn and they don't know what it means to be a dog and you let them hang around these balanced oh, dogs man. for a while it shows them what it means to be a dog again, and it changes them. No, that's, that's a heavy line. A dog doesn't know what it means to be a dog. That's true. Look at what we do to them. We take them away from their mother. I mean, nature has them born in a large litter for a reason. They're supposed to learn from their family units. They're supposed to grow and have peers and aunts and uncles and roles in an emotionally bonded, socially connected group. Uh -huh. We take them out of that, and we put them in a human environment. Think about it. If you took 20 kids put them in cages and never let them see any other kids and then tested them and based your knowledge on humanity based on those 20 kids who grew up with no social interaction, never understanding what it means to be a human. And that's where our scientific knowledge, a lot of it right now is set on these studies of dogs that aren't really even dogs. Well, I see why you call yourself a guidance counselor because these dogs are a little bit messed up. A lot of the dogs that come to me uh, have already been through the treat pouch training seminars and it didn't work for them. They've been through different trainers and for they're either scared or they're aggressive. Uh, and I don't really feel that training can address miscommunications. Uh, we're studying wolves now in a way we never have before. And we're seeing things that A, are proving most of our assumptions wrong and B, are blowing us away. A pack of wolves can take five five-month-old wolf puppies Put them in a field and tell them, stay there and wait and don't make a noise. We're going to go kill something, and then we'll call you over when we're done. 
Look, I'm a pro. I can't do that with one dog. And they don't have words. So how are they doing it? Oh, There's more going on. And by sitting around watching them and seeing them interact in, and look, I hesitate to use the word natural about dogs at all because they're the single largest genetically modified organism experiment that's ever taken place in, <laughs> on a species. There's, no, dogs. there's nothing natural about a dog. It, a chihuahua doesn't have a natural environment. <laughs> Maybe your lap. We, we created them 100 years ago. There was only eight breeds. No kidding. Now there's 400, depending on which kennel club you look at. So yeah. they're all from us. We genetically modified them. So when they say this is what's natural for a dog, what's that? Being in your living room? That's maybe natural. So when we get them in an environment where they can accept a human as a leader and understand that I'm going to conflict resolve, I'm going to break up the fights, I'm going to decide who eats when, all we got to do is play and get along. They start learning how to communicate again, how to tell a friend yes, how to tell a friend no. The same one that just chewed on your face outside if it jumps on your bed when you're napping. Dog, have you ever seen a mother dog correct a puppy? It looks like it's killing it. Uh -huh. We anthropomorphize. We jump in and we say, don't do that. That's violent. But that's just how they talk. And if they're not allowed to talk like that, now they become afraid of conflict. They become afraid of confrontation because they don't have the social skills to deal with those situations. When we give them to them, I mean, I've got a shih tzu at my house right now named Jagger who when I met him put holes in my my poncho, man. He he was all teeth. He was a whirlwind of aggression. Still is if you go over to his house at some points, but I'm working with him, got him in the pack. Now he's making friends, and he's realizing that he actually likes other dogs, no. and the aggression's out the window. No, what, do you, what do you do? How do you make that kind of a turnaround? Because I bet I know a lot of people who'd like to do something like that with their dog. Well, I, I'd like to take all the credit. I really would. Go for it. It's my It's my dog's. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. They, I can't explain to a dog. None of us can. We want to anthropomorphize. We want to calm our dogs and talk to them like they're our kids. We want to say, don't worry, everything's okay. That means not that to a dog. So when humans and dogs communicate, there's huge gaps for misunderstandings. But when dogs communicate with each other, there's no gaps for misunderstanding. So when a dog makes a friend, they get it. They understand what's going on. So I have... Of my 11, I have some of them that are their jobs are sheriffs to enforce roles. Some are just greeters who are going to assume everybody's a friend and just run out and just start wrestling. But then there's some that are friend makers that, that can look at a scared dog and be like, you don't want me to approach. I'll stay over here. Were those roles assigned by you or were they self-assigned by the dogs themselves? They were observed by me and, and labeled. So once, once dogs put themselves into a pack... There, there are roles. I mean, even if we watch wolf packs now, like I encourage everybody to start looking up the Druid Peak Pack videos and documentaries that exist on YouTube right now. I'm sorry, the, the what? Druid's Peak, Peak Pack. Druid's um, we've Peak? started, okay. since we've reintroduced wolves into Yosemite, we've started studying them in a way we've never had access to before, and we're seeing their different personalities. We're seeing the dynamics and the soap opera lifestyle of, of what a pack means. Uh, it's really just impressive stuff. The individualities that take place and the family dramas, it's, it's mind-blowing. Is it going to be a sitcom next week? Maybe, maybe. <laughs> there are some very individual wolves out there that, that, that don't march to the beat of the drum that science has assigned to them for the past 100 years. That's cool. Um, so when we take them out of that situation and, and we can allow them to act as they would to create balance. Dogs want balance. If they think that you're weak, they're going to protect you, and they're gonna, that's going to be mistaken as aggression. When you put them in their own role and their personalities come forth – they start developing their own jobs based on their personalities, what I call genetic imperatives. So like a border collie, 
that wants to work cattle, if it doesn't have a prey drive, it means born with it, from the moment it opens its eyes, you can tell if that dog is gonna be a cattle worker. If he is, if he's born with it, that's great. You can't teach it to him and you can't take it out of him. Mm -hmm. If he's not born with it, he's not gonna be a good cattle dog. The ones that are, usually aren't good pets. They're the ones who live outside. I was about to say that it yeah. sounds like if you're going against their nature, they're just gonna be just like a human. They're, right. gonna, they're gonna rebel like some teenager. So that prey drive is a genetic imperative. Lots of dogs have, we've in, inbred into them a job to do. They're, they're supposed to work with us. Border collies are herding, <clears throat> Pyrenees are tenders, there's guard dogs, there's companion dogs. They were all bred with a job to do. And just like humans, they're all complete individuals. So each one of them is gonna have, let's say if they're a cross between a Spaniel and a Border Collie and a, great, a German Shepherd and a Great Dane, they could have five different dog, breed, dog breeds going on inside of them. But all of them are gonna have an individual idea of what their place in the world should be. If they're not put into a situation where that's going to be allowed to be flourished and be expressed and flourish, where they can say, oh, I'm supposed to chase this squirrel and I'm gonna chase it and then I get rewarded for it. If we try to inhibit that, then we don't become a leader. We become an obstacle. Huh. You know, and once they can do it, then it changes how they see the world and where they fit into it. You know, my wife and I, we raised three daughters and now we're raising some grandkids. And I'm listening to what you're saying and I see direct parallels from one to the other. You know, the, the kid has a certain direction they're going to go. Like our oldest daughter, she's definitely independent and she's going her way. And if you stand in the way, she's going to walk over you. Yeah. And if, but if you open the door for her, she's your friend for life. And I'm sure that your other daughters have qualities that are different. But Absolutely. No, right. And if you tried to make them all the same daughter, <laughs> right? So that's what I say that's about right. dog training all the time. If you go to a pet store anywhere and you take dog training classes, they're giving every dog the same piece of paper to go home with. Uh -huh. And then they're moving on to the second stuff, whether your dog picked it up or not. Uh -huh. So I, I kind of think that training in its essence needs to be based on a dog's like individual, individual needs. Yeah. You know, my, I'm one of uh, four boys. I have three brothers. And my dad always points me, I'm the black sheep of the family, or I guess the black dog of the family, <laughs> keeping in with the theme today. And he says all the time, he says, you do the same thing with all four and look what happens to the one. <laughs> <laughs> and, and right, because it's not, going, it's not everything that you put in. So there's so much that makes a dog. There's its breed and its genetic imperatives. What, does it, what has it been bred by us for the past 80 years to do? Uh -huh. It's experience and then its own individual personality. I mean, same, some dogs in the same litter that I've seen dogs come from a champion herding dog and a champion herding dog, two parents, and have pop out and think a sheep's its best friend and not want to have anything to do with moving <laughs> it around. And take it, I have him at my house, his name's Chili. You know, there's, there's an old Japanese saying, it says, great men have no seed. Ah, I, I believe that's Lao Tse, isn't it? It, it could be. I, I, don't don't, I don't know. But it parallels, I have a client who's a, we'll a human behaviorist, and uh, she, her name's Lauren, her dog's name's Chloe, and she had issues when we first met about bonding with her dog, and as the process became successful, she was really just shocked by how many parallels there were between the human behaviors and the dogs. Dogs I, are essentially like a three-year-old. <laughs> maybe three-year-olds are like dogs. I don't yeah. know. It works both ways. It does. It's like math. It's commutative. Yes. This is amazing stuff, you know? So when you're training a dog, let's say to be a police dog or a guide dog yes. or anything like that, you have, to, you have to be careful about where you start. Yeah. And if you really ever want to see this, there's some great work being done right now at what's called Penn Vet Working Dog Center in West Philly. 
Uh, they have dogs right now where they're training to smell cervical cancer, and they can smell <laughs> it at a 99% clip. We don't know what they're smelling, but they can smell it. These dogs, these dog, they also train seeing eye dogs there. Stephanie's mouth is hanging open. Yeah. <laughs> I'm it's, surprised, it's too. It's amazing. Yeah. We, we don't understand fully their capacities. The people at Penn Vet Working Dog Center are some of the best in, people I have ever met involved. They, they train scent detection, search and rescue dogs, uh, all kinds of dogs down there. But when you're trying to do like seeing eye dogs or therapy dogs or some serious jobs like that, it takes a couple of years and they can't live the life that like a house pet does. I mean, when you're a police dog, you've got a home <laughs> collar and you've got a work collar uh -huh. and the parameters are different. I, as a matter of fact, I kind of, police training dogs, are it's done wrong. They, they don't need to do it like they do. It's a very violent process. Uh, it's get, not nice on the dogs. I was going to say, can you give a couple examples of where they're going wrong? I have seen them pick their dog up by a prong collar and swing it around their head like a helicopter. Hmm. That's not okay to me. No. But not, listen, not in their kids. defense, because uh, I'm last thing I want to do is alienate any police officers who I think do a wonderful job and these wonderful animals they work with. It's just that training there has been handed down through military purposes so it comes from a different mindset uh -huh. and they, those dogs if they make a mistake someone could die that's right so they they have to be on top of it yep that's i just think it's a little superfluous and speaking as a graduate of the abington citizens police academy i appreciate that kind of a thought because you're right they are hard working yeah but it's I, not necessary there's new information but new I, things have come to light i have said many things about the police I'm looking at my list here, episodes 11, 25, 30, the police shootings, episode 8, episode 10. There's a lot I could say about the cops. But my guest today, Derek Cotton, canine guidance counselor, and now we know why. I'm your caster, Ken Crawchuk, and you're listening to The Pennsylvania Project, episode 42. We'll be right back after this information. Thinking about getting your first tattoo? Maybe you're ready to add to that sleeve you started or cover up that one regretful choice. Put Sam C. and his team of artists at Iron Will Tattoo Club in Glenside, PA at the top of your list. The team at Iron Will has plenty of designs to choose from. They can create an original design or work with a design that you provide. Call 267-893-7625 today to schedule your free consultation. That's 267-8-WE-ROCK or visit them on Instagram at Iron Will Tattoo Club. Hey, Art Farnsworth here, cohort on The Pennsylvania Project. Folks, you know it's easy to find a high-paying job. At least for some people it is. Employers are begging for competent leaders who know how to communicate effectively. But do those words describe you? Competent leader? Communicates effectively? If not, or even if they do, you may want to consider joining Toastmasters. The mission of Toastmasters is to provide a supportive environment for learning communication and leadership skills. But does it really work? Hey, look at me! I joined Toastmasters and now I'm on the radio! Turn your life around like I have. Visit Toastmasters.org and contact a club near you. Visitors are always welcome and be sure to mention my name. The future is anxiously awaiting competent leaders who know how to communicate effectively. You can be that leader. And it all starts at Toastmasters.org. Are you a small business owner, always looking for referrals? Do you have a streamlined approach to generating new referrals? 
Contact Steve Worley to learn the fast, easy way to generate new referrals. Steven has an all-inclusive system that will help you generate an extra 5 to 10 customers per week without spending a single dollar on ads. You won't have to you won't have to create a website, have pictures taken or write a single ad. Steve will take the headache out of the process. Contact him at steveworley.com. That's Steven with a V, W E R L E Y.com. Do you have the financial freedom that you imagine you would have? At AG Freedom Financial, we are dedicated to serving you while helping you achieve your financial goals. We offer planning and investment advice on everything from college and retirement planning to a rollover 401k. Please call 866-383-6899 to learn more. The top priority at AJ Freedom Financial has always been and always will be our clients. Call AGA Freedom Financial today to talk to a qualified professional. 866-383-6899. 866-383-6899. AJ Freedom Financial, helping Pennsylvanians achieve financial freedom from demand. Securities and investment advisory services are offered through Gradient Securities, LLC member FINRA, SIPC. Insurance products and services are offered through AJ Freedom Financial. AJ Freedom Financial is not affiliated with Gradient Securities, LLC. I like the way you do that. Thank you, Stephanie. Hey, Ken Krawchuk here again, and we're back with episode 42 of the Pennsylvania Project, and my guest, Derek Cotton, canine guidance counselor. And we learned why. I mean, this this is really eye-opening stuff. You know, here at the Pennsylvania Project, we are all about solutions. And one of the challenges is how to train your dog. And this is this is a real trip. Now, you got to tell people how did you wind up sitting in that chair? Because two weeks ago, a week ago, we didn't know each other. Yeah, I, I've. Uh, it's kind of an odd story and to cut it down i i kind of really owe it to three things a, a dog named rambo a fear of horses and jane goodall uh, <laughs> you're gonna have to explain that yeah so i i just kind of traveled around the country bartending for like 18 years and i uh, bought a dog at a yard sale in tucson one day named rambo yeah <clears throat> and i fell in love with him and he, he changed my life and i decided i i wanted to do everything i could to spend every day with rambo so the next day i got a job at a dog daycare where essentially they just paid me minimum wage to sit in a corner and watch 40 dogs play all day, but I could bring my dog with me. Mm. So for the next eight months, I spent about 40 to 50 hours every week just observing dog behavior. And I was reading while I was doing it, and I was reading a book about Jane Goodall, who uh-huh. she changed what we know about humanity. Uh-huh. I mean, nobody knew chimpanzees could make tools before her, but you know what? She's not a scientist. She was a secretary, man. <laughs> oh, I didn't know I didn't that. Know. Yeah. Yeah. A scientist wow. sent her out there to go watch some chimpanzees because he thought she was patient. Hmm. and she changed what we know about the world just by sitting and watching because when you want to study an animal if they're scared of your presence or even aware of your presence in a curious way you're not going to see their true behavior you have to get past that point you have to get to a point where you can enter and exit and sit there and you're nothing more than you know the setting you're just a scene uh-huh. uh, same thing with dogs our, our attention is a very powerful thing to a dog and 90 percent of problem behaviors come from the way we give our dogs attention uh-huh. you know i'm thinking of some of my dates from back before i was married they're the same thing it's the ones you're the most comfortable with that make it easy my wife and i have yeah. been married for 43 years 
and that's going to be the theme of next episode 43. Congratulations. Thank you. To yeah. her. Our kids pick yeah. on us. They say, all of our friends' parents are divorced, separated. What's wrong with you guys? Uh, he needed a good guidance counselor. Then. Yeah, <laughs> no, I guess we are our own guidance counselors. You know, they, they say it's tough in the beginning, but uh, let me tell you, the first 43 years are the, are the worst. <laughs> it's still <laughs> no, downhill from there. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. So they're backing up. You have no training in this. You're just you're you're a bartender who picked up on a dog and yeah. you just started. Yeah, well then the fe- that's where the fear of horses comes in. So uh, after the dog daycare thing ran its course, I, I met some people who offered me an opportunity to live and work on their horse ranch and take care of their horses. And I lied, said, "Yeah, I know everything about horses. <laughs> I, I grew up with horses, Uh-oh. but I really wanted to figure this stuff out quick. I was <laughs> terrified quick. of horses, though, you know. Yeah, they're big. And I used to see." This other trainer, this lady Claire, go into these big, giant, mean horses' stalls and just put a thing right on their head and take them out. Nothing. I go in there with my rake, and they try to kill me. <laughs> and she says, because they know what you're going in for. They know you're scared, so you can't worry about how they act. you got to worry about how you act. And wow. when I started over the year that I was there, 55 horses, I made some friends, man. And I started learning. I think that being so terrified of them kind of... I was working with them with some adrenaline in my system. Maybe it made me a little hyper-aware, but I started being able to read their body language, and I started being able to be friends with ones that no one else could. And they started sending me into the mean horses' places. And do you think that, from a reciprocal point of view, that's how the horses would sense your demeanor that day, that they can read you somehow? Or Absolutely, How yeah. does that work? Is it similar with dogs, where they can figure out what you're all about by sensing something? Uh, absolutely. I think that the main tool they use to communicate is body language. Like, a dog doesn't wag its tail to show you it's happy. A dog is happy, so its tail wags. It's instantaneous. Uh. Happens on a level we don't understand. Happens so quick. It's not, like, processing. It's not reacting. It's just, it is. They, they see you a certain way, and they are. They... they understand so when you go in there with that rake in your hand like keeping it in between you and the horse like you better not mess with me man yeah but that's overtly aggressive and i can see where the horse might be afraid of the rake if you're brandishing it but if you just walk in there plain jane then how do you think the horse knows that you're mr nice guy or mr not so nice guy can you just is is it that easy to just walk in mr plain jane because like look if you're scared you're gonna be showing it like yep. we're like that too. Yep. You, you might be able to lie to your coworkers or lie to your friends or something with words. Yeah. But when you're using your body, can you? You know, that's what a lie detector test is all about. You can't. Your body is going to give off things displaying your actual emotions. And when you're scared, they're going to know you're scared. When they're when you're calm, ignoring them, they're going to know that too. And man, hmm. I, I see it with I saw it with horses. I saw it with dogs. There's a horse named Diesel, big old Tennessee warm blood. I was the only one who could walk in there. He's hurt people. Hmm. I used to be able to walk in and put the thing on him, take him for a walk, tie him to the stakes outside, go in and clean his stall, bring uh-huh. him back in. And I've seen that firsthand. Our youngest daughter, there's dog next door, Taffy. Taffy didn't like anybody. Taffy was nasty to everybody. She'd be over there sitting with that dog and the two of them be having the time of their lives together. And I'm sure he saw something in her body language that she wasn't afraid. Yeah. And that made him not afraid because they learned through mimicry. So, all right, let's look at wolves again for a second the wolves in the pacific northwest that live mainly on a diet of salmon have learned that they cannot eat the body of the salmon only the head because a tapeworm lives in the body that will eventually eight months later kill them so one wolf somewhere went that dead wolf was killed by that thing in his belly and that came from this so if we don't eat that we won't die from it and then they taught that to their kids without words that's the thing that begs the question how do they communicate these body language so no looks like I will kill you. Yes means do what I'm doing. Mimicry. Wow. So 
don't do that or I'm going to mess you up. Or, but you have to now do what I'm doing. Follow me and do what I'm doing. Well, nice. Let me bring this back to the concrete now. Yeah. Can you give some solid advice for dog owners right now who are having issues with their dogs? What, Absolutely. What would you have them do? So there's three main areas that I see most problem behaviors come from. Uh, the biggest one I'd say would be how our dog reacts to stimulus either in your household or when you're outside on leash. For example, the mailman theory, all right? Your dog's sitting in the window, someone walks down the street, your dog barks at it, the thing goes away, your dog thinks, I just protected us. Uh, We'd <laughs> all be dead if it wasn't for me. <laughs> now someone's walking a little slower, maybe they got kids, your dog's really barking, and you're in the other room going, Fido, shut up! That right? do that, yeah. But you know what your dog thinks you're doing? Your dog thinks you're yelling at the thing walking down the street, too. Because uh, if a dog's reinforcing it. Right, dogs have a genetic it. imperative to protect the pack. Yeah. So if they assume that's dangerous, and when they get mad at it, it goes away, they're, they're going to think, that's not a bad behavior, what I'm doing. So if you're yelling at them, there's no way they're going to think something that's good, that they're protecting you, it, it, you're mad about. So they're going to think, mom's mad, must be at that guy out there. But some people will go beyond that, where they'll say no and whap the dog with the newspaper. Yeah, now so the then dog's what gonna, does that do? Is that conflict for the dog's behavior there? It, well, what it's telling the dog is, yes, you, you need to even do it harder. And if they, you get a hold wow. of them, you come in here and bite them. That they were definitely dangerous. See how scared I am? And, no and when we try to calm a dog down with energy, we're actually telling it the opposite thing. So what I tell there my clients go. to do, well, let me actually. That's I'm, what I was looking I'm for. Going ahead, I'm going That's ahead. Sweet. So. When the mailman comes now, the mailman doesn't go away. The mailman keeps walking up to the house. Now the dog doesn't have a plan B. It mm-hmm. just tries plan A harder. It thinks it ain't trying plan A hard enough. And then you're from the other room going, try harder. <laughs> <laughs> try harder. So what do, you, what do you do instead? So you walk over to your dog. Because now the dog's frothing at the mouth going crazy. Now the mailman turns around and goes away. So the dog thinks every time I see a mailman, I should do that. Right. So the, the idea is that a dog's... Effect. Dogs can understand what we're looking at, and yeah. if the mimicry thing is true, then what we have to show our dogs is how to react by doing it, not by telling them how to do it. Uh-huh. So we need to come out and stare at what it is they're looking at. And it's you great. can talk to them. I, I kind of I, I tell people to verbalize, even though it's not the words that, that are the, getting across to the dog, it's kind of putting your own body at ease. Yeah. So if you walk out and you say, oh, hey, look, that's Bob down the street, man. We see him all the time. Thanks for letting me know he's there. Get Now get your dog's attention. Give it some love, give it a treat, and walk away from the window with it. Uh-huh. So oh. now your dog's going to change its mind about what the world entails. It does not need to protect you anymore. It needs to alert you and let you decide. Oh. Because I don't want my dogs to shut up. I like them scaring people away. Uh-huh. But I want them to be able to understand that if I walk over and hug the person who just walked in my door, then that must mean they're a friend of ours. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, yeah. So it's like a hypocrisy, actually, because you're saying one thing and doing another. Uh, again, it's like if you met a, a child that was raised by wolves, good luck communicating with it. So what essentially we're doing is meeting a wolf raised by children and expecting it to communicate with us like one of our children. Yow. So we have to actually start communicating like with it like a, a wolf would, like <sighs> a mother wolf would. And luckily for us, we live in a day and age now where cameras are everywhere. We, uh-huh. we can see what wolves are doing. And we used to think that it was just this male-dominated society that alphas we didn't let strangers in and we rule with this iron fist man and it's not we're seeing that there's only one rule it's survival and procreate and they'll do anything they'll let other species in there's a documentary right now on netflix about this wolf in india and he's living with like a half-breed something like like hyena something 
they'll do what it takes to survive. They'll do what <laughs> it's what is best for the pack, and dogs will too. But they just don't have packs anymore. Yeah. So when we put them back in one, and all of a sudden this ancient desire starts taking hold, like lunchtime for me is like wolves at a carcass, man. The wolves <laughs> at a carcass. That one of them decides who eats when. Mm. Sometimes it's a male, sometimes it's a female, but one of them decides who eats when. And when we do that in a natural setting, it, it taps into that old instinct of wow. it's no longer just me, it's we. And when it's we, I don't have dogs who need leashes, yeah. man, like because we grew up, three of them grew up on that horse ranch with me. It was fenced in 55 acres. We walked all over the place together. But you, they knew there was stuff out there that would kill you. Uh-huh. So they had to stick close to me. I never need leashes for them. And I'm like, training? What's training? These things want to survive. Mm-hmm. So, so it's a, the answer here is we. We. Yeah, we. B- bonding with your dog and getting it to see you as a leader because a, a dog isn't a wolf. For a wolf, it will evolve. Uh, right? It wants to become a leader, uh-huh. you know? It, it, there's benefit to it. The, the only There's only one pair of wolves having sex, and that's the bosses. None of it, nobody else gets to do that. So there's a benefit to becoming a leader. Uh-huh. For a dog, there's no benefit for being a leader. All that stuff is just responsibility. Dogs don't want responsibility. They're like little dudes, man, little Lebowskis. <laughs> they don't want to do anything. They want to give all that stuff up to you. But uh-huh. the problem is, is we put them in situations where they feel they have to do jobs that they're not good at. Uh-huh. Oh, wow. This is amazing stuff. Yeah. You know, when, when, when I was talking before about getting you on this show, it's like, man, you have... We, we face challenges in Pennsylvania, and this one's definitely environmental, cultural, and you've addressed them both. And this is stuff that I've never heard. You know, I had Thanks. dogs when I was kids. I've seen other people. I got, I got a whole new point of view. I'd love you to come over and meet the pack sometime. <laughs> I you think want, I you, will. You ever been in a place with 30 dogs at the same time? Uh, no, I'm allergic to dogs. Uh, <laughs> well, but it's, it's not, take some Benadryl and get It's over not dramatically. <laughs> You know, we are out of time. I think we need you know, to extend the show to two hours in the near future. No, I got a rant. That's coming up. That's going to have to wrap it up for the then portion of the show. Derek, thank you. Derek oh, Cotton, our canine guidance counselor. Thanks for being on the show. Oh, it's a wow. pleasure. Thanks for having me. We got to pause for this information. And when we return, I'm going to be ranting about something that really sticks in my craw. Unanswered questions from the Pennsylvania Project. The following is a commercial announcement. Hey, Stephanie, how's it going? Bad, Ken. Really bad. Why? What's the matter? Our friends at the Infernal Revenue Service (laughs) paid me a personal visit the other day. The IRS? Yup. Two big brutish guys scared us all half to death. I bet. What did they want? Money, of course. Lots of it, too. Remember that part-time gig I took on last summer? Yep, I remember. You were raking in some big bucks. Yeah, and all those big bucks went straight into my personal bank account. It turns out the IRS doesn't like it when you do that. And on top of that, I didn't file any of the right forms or pay nearly enough in taxes. So they want it all now, right now, plus penalties and interest. Ouch. Sounds like you should have called Amendment 16. Hey, it's the damn 16th Amendment that got me into this predicament in the first place. No, no. Amendment 16, the invoicing service. They'll invoice your client for the hours and expenses you report to them. And when your client pays them, they pay you. Minus all required state and federal taxes. It's that easy. One call does it all. And they'll even have an accountant do your personal taxes for you come April Fool's Day. I mean, come April 15th. And they take care of all other taxes, all the forms? Yep, and they can pass along certain tax breaks, too. Man, I wish I knew 
about Amendment 16 sooner, where can I find them? On the web, of course, at amendment16.com, with 16 spelled out. That's amendment, S-I-X-T-E-E-N.com. One call does it all. You've been a registered libertarian for years, voted libertarians even longer, and lived by the libertarian principles all your life. Now it's time to take the next step and become a dues-paying member of the Libertarian Party of Pennsylvania. Keep abreast of the March Toward Liberty in Pennsylvania. Take an active role in making it happen. Maybe even consider running for local political office yourself. It all starts with becoming a dues-paying member of the Libertarian Party of Pennsylvania. It's easy, fast, and only $20 a year. So visit lppa.org to sign up today. That's lppa.org. Do it today. A freer future is waiting. Hey, Ken Krawchuk here again, and welcome to the me portion of episode 42 of the Pennsylvania Project, where I get to rant about something that really sticks in my craw. Today, it's all the unanswered questions from past episodes of the Pennsylvania Project that I have asked. Before I get into them, let me give you a little background. There's this strange science fiction trilogy called The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, written by Douglas Adams. It's strange because it's the only trilogy I know that has five books in it. Well, in one part of the book, there's some philosophers. They're seeking the answer to the question of life, the universe, and everything. So they build this massive computer to answer the question, and the computer works on the solution for seven and a half million years. And after all that time, it actually came up with an answer. You know what the answer was? I see some nodding heads. 42. Of course, the philosophers are stunned, but as a postscript to the answer, the computer told them, I think the problem, to be quite honest with you, is that you've never actually known what the question is. Or, as we here at the Pennsylvania Project would put it, more important than solving the problem correctly is to solve the correct problem. But I digress. Glad to see that deep thought the computer agrees with us. Anyway, getting back on point, this is episode 42. And earlier in the episode, we talked about life, speed cameras and such, then about the universe, the universe of dogs, that is, and now we're going to talk about everything, every question we ever asked on the Pennsylvania Project and never received a proper answer. And we'll do as many as we have time for. I know we're not going to get to them all. Hopefully, it's going to take less than seven and a half million years to do it. Ready? And please, anybody, if you have answered these questions, let me know. Here we go. Drum roll. From episode 41, who are the witnesses from red light cameras as guaranteed by the Pennsylvania Constitution that you can see face to face? Again, from episode 41, why don't we spend the gas tax on the highways as mandated by the Pennsylvania Constitution? I don't know. And a related question from episode 40, why don't they spend turnpike toll money on the turnpike? Seems to be a no-brainer. Episode 28, and from a commercial earlier, why don't our schools teach our kids the Pennsylvania Constitution? It's the basis of our government here. And don't forget to sign our petition if you want to see that change, remember? You can see it at PennsylvaniaProject.com. From episode 15, 
Why do independent and third-party candidates need five times, ten times, thirty times as many signatures as candidates from the two old parties? Is it constitutional? No. Despite the fact that the Pennsylvania Constitution says, quote, all elections shall be free and equal. Don't get me started. Too late. I'm started. From episode 40, why? Why can't we live stream court hearings? Why? Why can't we pay attention to this? Judge says no. Episodes 37 and 39, why does the state claim a monopoly on alcohol sales? And why aren't the state stores open on holidays? It's enough to drive you to drink, isn't it? (laughs) Episode 38, why do we have safety inspection for cars in Pennsylvania when 35 out of 50 states don't? Sounds like some kind of a welfare program for car mechanics. I don't know. Episode 28, oh man, if you didn't see this, you ought to watch it. Why does the Philadelphia School Board make life hard for one of the most successful charter schools in the state? It's in the inner city of Philadelphia and has a graduation rate of 100%, college admission rate of 98%, and the rest go into the crafts. Why? Episode 37. Why does government education cost twice as much, more than twice as much as a private education on average? I don't know. Is it any better? Yeah, you tell me. Go back to episode 28 and see what the Pennsylvania's Philadelphia School Board is doing. Episode 14. Why? When I tried to renew my concealed carry permit, why did the sheriff's office reply, quote, I just noticed that you do not have an acceptable race. Please correct and resend all documents. I beg your pardon? An acceptable race? I'm still waiting to hear the end of that one. We got to get Mike Heiss in there. Our guy who did the self-government episode. Anyway, I ain't done. I still got pages left to go here. I'm just watching the clock, see how many I can fit. Episode 34. Why do libertarians eat their young? <laughs> and relax. I'm not going to repeat that joke again about the guy jumping off the bridge. You can go back to episode 34 and listen to it. It's a little bit long, and I'm not going to waste time on it. Not waste time. Spend time. Episode 12. Why? We had an attorney on as a guest. Why do attorneys charge so damn much? I can't believe how much they... He's like, well, we spend a lot of time learning new stuff. It's like, dude, you make a million dollars a year. If you spend 11 months of the year studying and one month doing practicing, you'd make $100,000. Too late. I'm started. Here you go. From episodes 2, 6, 9, 13, 27, and a bunch of random comments. Why? Please tell me why cannabis is illegal. Don't we have the right to keep and bear plants? From episodes 12, 32, and 33, why do corporations enjoy all sorts of boons that we mere mortals don't have? Things like eternal life, might be nice, might get boring, limitation from liability, can you imagine that? I'm gonna go pour billions of gallons of oil in the Gulf, (laughs) and nobody goes to jail. And what about that power they have of eminent domain? Stealing your property? Where, where'd they get that one from? I don't know. Can you answer these questions? I, I'm still going on. I still got time. I still have pages of these. From episodes 9 and 25, where do the cops get off with their DUI checkpoints? Especially when the FBI says how roving patrols are so much cheaper and more effective. Now, listen, I'm not just talking through my hat here. I have personally worked DUI checkpoints and Not one of the people I saw arrested that first night, eight of them, not one of them was drunk to my eye. 
couldn't believe it. And if you want to check episode nine, that's the one I get into the details. Go check it out. Episode twenty-four, excuse me, episode four and twenty-four and twenty-five and twenty-six. When Article One, Section Twenty-One of the Pennsylvania Constitution says, "Quote." The right of the citizens to bear arms in defense of themselves in the state shall not be questioned. Why? Somebody tell me, why is it always being questioned? From episode 16, what's this with our racist courts? I still haven't heard an answer to that. Why are minorities jailed eight times the rate more often than whites for drug criminal, drug offenses? We have offenses, they're not offenses. Don't we, I said, don't we have the keep, right to keep and bear plants? And how about all those goth men in those long black dresses? How cool is that, right? And their mumbo-jumbo confusing rituals that they've surrounded themselves with that nobody can understand, except maybe your $500 an hour attorney. Now I'm starting to repeat myself. Let me back up. That was episode 12. Still going on here. Episode 13. I'm going to run out of time. I can see it already. On and on and on and on. Let me just, let me just sum it up. Oh, man. I got to flip to another page. It's just too many of these. There's a lot more of these unanswered questions, and I'm going to do them again. Let me sum it all up in one single unanswered question from episode 39 from Crosby, Stills, and Nash and Young. In a land that's known for freedom, how can such a thing be fair? On that cheerful note, that's going to wrap it up for episode 42 of the Pennsylvania Project. If you have something to say, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us at PennsylvaniaProject.com right after you sign our petition. Today's episode is courtesy of Amendment 16 Limited, recorded live at the studios of WWDB Radio, broadcasting in Philadelphia at 860 on the AM dial every Saturday at 10 AM, and now broadcasting on Kutztown on KUR Radio at 1670 on the AM dial every Monday at 7 AM. Webmaster Stephen Worley, marketing guru Connor Dragotis, featured Toastmaster narrator Stephanie Berg-Brown, featured Toastmaster cohort Art Farnsworth, keyboard wizard Joe the Pag, radio producer Brett Kronberger, executive producer Mark Bazako, and me, your caster, Ken Crawchuk, running out of time. Thanks for joining us, and remember, more important than solving the problem correctly is to solve the correct problem. Yeah.